I'm a teacher at Penridge High School, and I coach football there as well. Um, but that's really, you know, my second job, because my, my first job was um, I got involved in ministry um, after I graduated from Penn State, got involved in ministry, and I uh, was a youth pastor, and Kristen was one of my kids, and um, Jim and Deb Galt, we go way back, because we did youth ministry together, didn't we? It was a long time, it was like the Middle Ages, I think, so it was a long time ago. So, um, and then uh, we uh, ended up planting a church as well. And, uh, and I turned that over to one of my staff members, and it went into teaching again. And uh, in a sense, my ministry kind of exploded once I went into the public school, as you could you know, imagine. There's, there's a lot of needs there. And so that's where I'm at right now. But I also uh, enjoy um, speaking, and uh, I really enjoyed getting to know Adam, because we just started getting together when? April, maybe? May? And uh, just, just getting to know his love for his family, his wife, his kids... Um, and getting to know his love for you guys and his commitment to the mission and to Journey Church has really been a challenge to me. It's been really, really encouraging uh, to me. Um, I was asked to talk about heaven in one week, and, uh, which is kind of crazy, you know, because there's so much to talk about, uh, about heaven. And uh, so we're going to look at God's perspective on heaven, and uh, I really feel like I need to, to let you know that that speaking on heaven is, a, is, is exciting, but it's also difficult. And the reason I think it's difficult is because there's probably no other subject that the enemy hates than for us to talk about heaven. And here's why. Because heaven is a declaration of God's victory over the enemy. It's his final victory. The enemy, it's his final defeat. And so when we talk about heaven, he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. He, he can distract us talking about a lot of other things, a lot of the good things. But when we talk about heaven, I believe the enemy gets very, very upset. And so before we begin, we need to pray against the enemy and for the victory that God's given us. So let's pray. All right. Father God, thank you for your word, the, uh, the magnificent way you preserved it for us, the revelation that you've given to us of how we can live our lives now, how we can know you and where our final home will be. Will be. And Lord, so I thank you for preserving this word. I ask that your spirit would bind the enemy as we, as we think about and discuss our final home with you. The place will be when redemption is complete. So bind the enemy, and I ask as well that, that this would bring you praise. It would also bring us hope. And if there are those here that have a fear of death, God, you would replace that with this great anticipation of life with you as we look at heaven, our final home, in your revelation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, at a very early age, um, I usually have a clicker, you know, even in school. So Dustin, I guess I'll do, this is my clicker. How's that? Just like that? Is that good? Okay, good. Um, at a very early age, um, my parents had me thinking about heaven, and here's why. You see on the left-hand side there um, is a little grave. I visited that grave as a kid very often with my parents. Um, people who know my family know that there is one, one daughter, uh, my, well, my sister, um, Christine, and then five boys. And most people think that my family consists of six kids, when in fact there are seven. I have a sister, and that's my sister Karen's grave. Um, she was born 12 months before me, 
and she did not live uh, through the night after she was born. So there are actually seven kids in, in the Allen family, and, and I grew up visiting this grave. And my parents instilled in us, impressed in us the hope of heaven very, very early on by visiting Karen's grave. Um, I remember um, feeling my parents' grief as we stood by that little grave, and, but I also remember feeling this, this, this solid hope, even in their sadness, this hope that one day they'll be meeting Karen in heaven. So at an early age, I wondered about heaven. Well, I, I visited her grave again um, before I, I uh, got ready to, to speak on heaven uh, at the Telford campus, and um, the, the gravestone on the right is my parents' grave. Now, when we visited Karen uh, when I was little, obviously that was just an empty plot, but it's not empty anymore. It has, it has the gravestone of my parents. My, my mom went to be with the Lord in 96, and my dad um, in 2014. And I, I remember standing there and feeling that sense of sadness. I miss my parents very much, but also the incredible joy that someday we're going to have when we're reunited. But there was something that I had missed in all those visits to Karen's grave and the time I went to my parents' grave, that site, or that site, I should say, I'm looking here, that site, there was something that I missed. And I'll show the next one there, Dustin. Um, this gravestone, if you can see it in the left there, completely covered by a scrubby bush. I had never noticed that before. And this is right next to my, my sister's grave. I had to get really close to get the picture on the right to see uh, that gravestone. I don't even know whose it is. You can't read the name at all. And I had never noticed this before. This is a grave that's completely overgrown. And I wondered why. Why could you not see the name? Why did this become engulfed by this bush? Was this a family you know, with no hope? Was this a, a family that had a fear of visiting this site because they didn't know what was happening next? Maybe it was too painful to visit. I don't know. But, but that was next to my, my sister's grave. And it made me wonder. And it made me wonder, how about you? What is your feeling when you think about the time when your clock is up? When somebody has to put, you know, the headstone over your grave. Do you have a fear of death? Do you have an anticipation of life? What is it that you have? Well, God, God knows that, that we fear death, that it's natural to fear death. And so he's given us a revelation to say, you don't have to fear death. You can anticipate more life. And so he's given us a revelation of his dwelling place, and I want to look at that today with you. And hopefully after today, you will feel not a fear of what's going to happen, but a security in your hope in Christ. So the Bible uses the term heaven in four ways, real quick. First of all, it uses the term heaven to talk about the atmosphere around the earth, you know, the stuff that we breathe. It also uses the term heaven to talk about the universe, so the expanded universe, the heavens, also uses the term heaven as a substitute for God when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God interchangeably. So heaven is used kind of to describe God's rule. But the way that we're going to look at it is, is the fourth way that the, the word heaven is used, and that is God's dwelling place, where God's throne is. That is heaven. And that's the terminology that we're going to use uh, today. So I'm going to use the term our final home. So uh, our final home to, to make sure that we talk about what, what heaven is, okay? Because it could mean a lot of different things in Scripture, but I'm going to talk about heaven as our final home when we dwell 
with God, when we're with God. So, and there are, you can see there's six things we're going to look at real briefly on each one. The promise of our final home, the purpose, the people, the process, how is it made? What are some of the particulars? And then finally, how do we prepare for it? How do we prepare for that final move? Okay, let's take a look, first of all, at the promise that God's given us of our final home. We see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament. Also, before we look at these verses, let's remember that none of what we talk about here today is, is my idea. It's not based on a near-death experience. It's not based on anything other than God's revelation. So it's, it's not a subjective thing. God knows we want to know about life and death. He wants, to, he wants us to know so he revealed it to us. So what you're about to hear today is not going to be validated by warm feelings or hopeful fantasy or something subjective. When you talk about heaven and the afterlife with friends, a lot of times that's what, well, this is what I think about. This is what I heard about heaven. This is what I think about. That's not what this is based on. No person, no religion, no prophet can point to an event like the resurrection of Jesus to validate their thoughts of heaven. Only the Christian can do that. And if anybody has an argument with what we're looking at today, it's, it's not based on, oh, this is what Dave thinks about heaven or what the church thinks about heaven. It, they have an argument with the resurrection because it's all based on the resurrection. Heaven is really about resurrection. So look at these verses in 2 Peter. It says, in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And then in Revelation 21, almost the exact same thing. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This is not exclusive to the New Testament. Look at the Old Testament in Isaiah. Isaiah said, just as the new earth and the new heavens will endure by my power, so your descendants and your name will endure. God is promising a new heavens, new heavens and a new earth. Now, this is counter to all of the... Um, misconceptions that we have about heaven, that we're going to be in the clouds somehow floating with no feet and these white robes, you know, just kind of floating around, and we're all going to have a harp, all right? No, none of this anymore, right? We're all going to have harps. We're going to just kind of be floating around from cloud to cloud, and or even the misconception that all we're going to be doing is we're going to be, we're going to be in this, this ethereal place that's not really physical, and we're going to be singing all the time. That's, that's, that's not what the Bible says heaven is going to be like. There are, there's going to be a new earth, which we will live on, and God is also going to recreate the heavens. New heavens and new earth. Now, why, why is God promising that kind of ending, that kind of final home? What is the purpose of our final home? Why don't we just go where Jesus and the thief on the cross and, and, and my sister and my parents are right now? Why is there going to be a new earth and new heavens? Let's look at the purpose of our final home. The purpose of our final home is to finish what he started. Okay, that might be hard to, to read there, but I'll, I'll help you read that. God's going to finish what he started. He wants to redeem, as Adam said earlier, what has been fallen. What humanity ruined, God wants to fix. That's been his purpose all the way from the garden, to redeem us. Humanity's parents chose to sacrifice this beautiful harmony with God, this wonderful harmony with each other, and an incredible harmony with God's creation. They sacrificed all of that because they said, what am I missing? I must be missing something. 
and they sinned, and they fell. They fell from God, and so he withdrew his dwelling with man. He's no longer dwelling in the garden. He withdrew it. The purpose of heaven and our final home is for God to relocate so that his dwelling will be with man again, and we read that in the book of Revelation. They fell away from each other in shame. Soon there was was fighting, and we read that there was even murder. They broke their harmony with creation, the world God made just for them. So truly it was paradise lost. The purpose of heaven is to regain paradise, to finish what he started. That's the purpose of heaven. It's not dissolution into a great oneness uh, like the Zen proclaim or or the end of multiple lives of second chances so that sometime we're going to get it right. The purpose of heaven is not to have 70 virgins. That's not what God says. The purpose is to finish what he started. God redeems what we ruined, and he restores his original purpose for us, a loving world where he can freely live with us. So this is uh, Romans uh, 8, uh, verse 18 to 26. Does anybody have that in the Bibles uh, you have there in your chairs? I'm going to shout out the page number. It's called class participation. If you find it, Romans 8, shout out the page number, please. Thank you. 652. Romans 8, uh, verses 18 to 26. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Notice he mentions creation a couple times. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the, spirits, of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope is, that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, And he groans with words that uh, we cannot express. Creation is aching to be redeemed. We are aching for the redemption of our bodies. And the Spirit is even groaning to help us get there. So God's purpose in heaven is to redeem all of this. Not only just to redeem us, but Romans 8 says to redeem this world. It's in bondage to decay. We are in bondage to sin. And he wants to redeem all of that. So the purpose of heaven is for God to finish what he started, which is why in Revelation 21, the second to the last chapter in the Bible, God says, uh, Jesus says, it's done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. There's a new heavens and a new earth, and he says, I'm the A and the Z. It's all done. So his purpose is to redeem what he started. Redemption is real. His purpose is may seem delayed to us, but it is never defeated. So if I could put it in a couple of phrases, and if you remember nothing about what I say today, remember this. Let's go to the next slide. If you're one of his, he will redeem you. He will redeem you for a resurrected life in a resurrected body 
with the resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. That's what he wants for us. That's the purpose of heaven. It's not to play the harp without any feet floating around in a white robe. See, it's no wonder that people don't get excited about heaven because we don't really study what heaven's going to be like. Oh, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to go to heaven until I get married, or I don't want to go to heaven until I have kids, or I don't want to go to heaven until, until, until. If we understood what heaven's really going to be like, we wouldn't be feeling that way. We'd be more excited talking about it. And really, I even talked to Pastor Andrew up in Telford. He said, I don't ever remember hearing a sermon about heaven. We say heaven a lot, but what is heaven really going to be like? David Jeremiah has a great series out. If you, if you ever want to you know, get into more detail than just a 45-minute message on heaven, David Jeremiah has a great series where he really delves into a lot of the scripture. It talks about what heaven's going to be like. We're going to just skim the surface here, but let this be a taste of what heaven is going to be like and get you excited about it. So how about the people, the people in our final home? Uh, those uh, people in our final home, we, we read in Scripture in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, it says, but at, at that time, at the end, your people, everyone whose name was found in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. As for you, go your way, Daniel, till the end, you will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your inheritance. The resurrection is taught in the Old Testament. The next slide says, uh, next uh, verse, John chapter 3, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. We need to be spiritually reborn in order to enter heaven. In our final home, we're told both in Ezekiel and in Revelation, there's a great city. It's really the capital city of the new earth. It's, it's the new Jerusalem. God has a heart for Jerusalem. He said he will dwell there forever. And so there is a new Jerusalem that's described in incredible, incredible uh, detail. I call it Celebration City because there will be worship going on all the time. David, uh, Jeremiah calls it the capital city of heaven. But interestingly, it says this about that capital city, the, the verses there at, at the bottom of the slide. We're told that the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Now think about that. There are nations, there are kings in heaven, on the new earth. What does that mean about the people in heaven? We're going to retain culture. We're even told that there's, there's a song that's being sung. I think it might be on the next slide. There's a song being sung around the throne that says, Jesus, you're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men from, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them to be kingdoms and priests. So in heaven, there are going to be cultures, just like there were on the, on, on the old earth, on the new earth, there'll be cultures and, and, and um, peoples and tribes and different languages and different nations. We don't lose that. When we, go to, when we go to our final home. In fact, the utopia that our politicians promise and that continue to evade them is going to be when Jesus is ruling and reigning. All peoples, all nations, all tribes connected in him, worshiping him, will be unity. 
That's when it happens. Now, more specifically, who are these people? The one verse talked about this book, people whose names were written in the book. What book is that? It's the book of life. Eight times it's mentioned in Scripture. The people who get the opportunity to experience the new heavens and the new earth with Christ are in the book of life. You see, right before the renewal of the heavens and the earth, when human history comes to a close, we're told that God meets everyone in his throne room. And it's time to give an account for our lives. So in Revelation 20, I think it's the next slide. Revelation 2012, maybe. Is it not there? Is it? See, I need my glasses to read that. Okay. Revelation 2012, um, and again, this is when the clock has ended. We're told, and I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books, multiple books were opened. And then another book, singular book, was opened, which is the book of life. So we have all of these books, but we have one that's named the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And those books are are the books of all the deeds that we have done. But if your name is written in the book of life, you're not judged by what's recorded in the books. If your name is written in the book of life, your judgment for your sin was already placed on the cross of Christ. That's done. That's over. You're clean and pure because of Christ. You're judged on the merit of the Son of God. However, if your name is not written in the book of life, you're you're judged on your own merit, which by virtue of not being pure, you have no place in a perfect heaven. In Revelation 21, it says, Nothing impure will ever enter the holy city, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Whose book is it? It's the Lamb of God. All right? It's the Lamb of God's book. So the population of our final home is registered in the Lamb's book of life, and you better be sure you're in that book. And there's a way to be sure. We'll talk about that at the end. It's Jesus' family record. And that's why Jesus said, no one can come to the Father unless he comes through me, through the Son. Those are the people that will be there. How about the process of our final home? How's it it formed? When does it happen? Scripture tells us that it happens after the final rebellion against God is crushed by Jesus. Quick chronology of of the last days is in order. God has determined a time for Christ to return to this earth, the second coming. With him will be all believers who have died, and at that time he'll govern here on planet Earth as a perfect, benevolent, righteous king. Scripture tells us that it'll it'll last for a thousand years. We call it the millennium. At the end of that thousand years, there are still, even there are people, even after Jesus is here and ruling in a just, perfect way, there are still people that don't want his rule. And there will be a final rebellion. After that final rebellion is the final judgment, and then our final home. Do you get that? So there's a final rebellion, the final judgment, and then our final home is is created. It really is the end of God's argument that even though God is offering us salvation from ourselves, there are still people that want to go it on their own or don't think they need it. So after that final rebellion, the final judgment, and then our final home is is formed. And 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us how that is formed. There's a number of passages, but this is the main passage. And again, we only have you know, 40 minutes to, to talk about this. Um, but 2 Peter chapter 3, 
Um, verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And then he tells us how we ought to be. And then in verse 12, he says, That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. All right, so there's this incredible, you know, cosmic chaos that happens. But he says, but we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. So what is this process like? It's, it's time, God says, for the purification of the earth and the heavens by fire. After the final rebellion and the final judgment, it's time to create the final home, which he has promised, a new heaven and a new earth. So the earth is purified by fire. Peter tells us earlier in the chapter that God's already done it with water, speaking of the flood. He's already done it with water. In the end, he will do it with fire. Now, what actually happens? A quick read of this uh, has led some people to say that the earth is completely destroyed, the universe is completely folded, annihilated, and God starts over. But I'm going to submit to you that that can't be, that can't be what happens because that's not the redemption of the earth. That's the annihilation of the earth. See, and even the word that's used in, in, in Peter here talks about laying bare, that the earth will be laid bare. Like General Sherman's scorched earth policy, where everything that, you know, after he, he, he conquered a city, he would burn everything, the earth was laid bare, but the land itself was still intact. Somehow, God will lay the earth bare. He will not annihilate this planet. To do so would hand Satan his victory, right? Because Satan says, this earth is mine. This is the kingdom, of, this, the kingdom of the world is mine. You remember when Jesus was tempted in the desert, um, Satan says, you know, I, I can hand you all the kingdoms of the, of the world because they're mine. I can give them to you. And Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. See, right now, this is, this is his kingdom. He's been given permission to roam, to deceive, but to annihilate this earth would basically be hand Satan a victory. So, so God's not going to annihilate this, this earth. This is his world. His purpose is to redeem and restore, not start over from scratch. In fact, when God entertained a reset with Moses, if you remember this story, during the rebellion of his people, he said, you know, Moses, these are stubborn, stiff-necked people. I'm going to start over. I'm going to start over with you, Moses. And Moses said, God, you can't do that. You can't do that. You'd be breaking your promise, and the, our enemies would have a right to dishonor your name. You can't just start over. So we need to interpret this passage that talks about the new heaven and the new earth and other passages like it as a radical purification and a reforming and a redemption of his original created world. That's what God wants to do. He wants to restore Eden. And even the word new, when it talks about the new heavens and the new earth, does not really mean in the Greek, new in terms of brand new, but new in terms of superior in quality. There's no other way to interpret Romans 8 that way. If creation is longing to be released from its bondage to decay, to annihilate creation is not fulfilling God's purpose. 
Creation groans for that. We groan for that. It's not groaning to be annihilated. It's groaning to be redeemed. In Romans 8, we're, we're groaning for the redemption of our bodies, not for the annihilation of our bodies and to hand us something brand new. Our bodies are the same, but they're going to be resurrected and glorified. And so it will be with this earth and the heavens around it. Think of it this way. Jesus, when he went to the grave, did not dispose of his old body, and God granted him a new body. Had he done that, the grave would still have his old body in it, correct? Right? So Jesus was not annihilated. His old body was resurrected. Jesus' old body was not annihilated. He still had the marks of, the old, of his old body when he showed it to Thomas. In the same way, the earth, when it is resurrected, it'll be the same earth, but it'll be resurrected in a Garden of Eden kind of way. It's not going to be annihilated. We can't read Second uh, Peter 3 like that. So it is with uh, this, this world, our final home. This earth will not be annihilated, but it will be redeemed by God. Some, how's that going to happen? I don't know. The buildings, the bridges, the graveyards, the cities, and all the evidence of decay and bondage will be burned up, Scripture tells us. Creation's groanings will be satisfied with a resurrected ecology that's perfect in every way. No more decay, no more curse, no more bondage, no more of the ravages of exploitive human beings. What a place that's going to be. It's paradise regained. And really, it's the Lord's prayer fulfilled. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It will be infinitely fulfilled because heaven, God's dwelling place, will be merged with the new earth. We're told that in Revelation. This is what we're told in Revelation 21. I don't think it's on, on, on the slides here. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. We're also told that the throne of God is in the new Jerusalem. So the New Jerusalem capital city is coming down, and I heard a loud voice from the, the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Heaven on earth. So it's paradise regained. It's the Garden of Eden all over again. God is walking with his people. Let's talk about the particulars of our, of our final home some of the things that uh, we'll be able to experience. First of all, our physical bodies. Um, we go back to Romans 8, verse 23. It says, our hope is the redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our souls? No. The redemption of our spirits? No. The redemption of our out bodies, okay? It's the redemption of our bodies. We will bear a resemblance in our bodies to the resurrected body of Jesus. He was recognizable by his disciples. So when we're in heaven, which, remember, heaven will be on the new earth. God's dwelling place is relocated from, from where he is now to with us. We will have bodies, physical bodies walking on a physical earth. And our, our bodies will be recognizable. Jesus was even recognizable at a distance, if you remember, when he was on the shore after the resurrection. He had his resurrection body, and the disciples were on the boat. They, res they, they, they saw him on the shore, and Peter recognized him from a distance. So we'll be able to recognize one another. 
At what age will we appear? I don't know. I do know that we won't be walking with canes or walkers or limps, okay? It's not clear in Scripture what age will we appear, but some say since heaven is a perfect place, our ages will be set at whatever age is the age of human perfection. Some say Jesus was in his mid-30s, so we're all going to be in our mid-30s. Scripture is not clear about that. But it is clear that we will have a real body um, that can eat. Jesus ate fish. He ate breakfast with his disciples. He even said to Thomas, you don't think that I'm real? You think I'm a ghost? Give me something to eat. Okay, so we know we're going to have real bodies. So this idea that we're going to be floating around in the clouds, you know, and playing hard, that's just not biblical. No aches, no pains, because there's no decay. There's no disease, no doctor's appointments, no insurance companies. Don't need them. Ever. How about our affections, our hearts? Our affection will be Christ, unhindered by the competition of other things in our hearts. And won't that be an incredible thing? Like Adam and Eve, we'll have immediate and constant connection with God. Like Adam and Eve, we'll have the freedom God granted to explore and create and work wherever and with whatever our hearts desire. Like no other time in your life, we'll be experiencing the promise of this verse, which, which we've quoted and we've encouraged one another with. This verse in Psalm 37, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I struggle with that on this side of heaven. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But when we're in heaven, we will have no problem taking delight in the Lord. There's no competition. So whatever we desire, we'll be able to experience we don't have to worry about, what if I have a sinful desire? What's go- we won't. He will have removed sin from our bodies. How about our surroundings? Well, heaven is called a city. It's also called a country. We're told in Scripture that there will be no more curse in our final home. There will be no vegetation fighting with the weeds. Imagine gardening when you don't have to deal with weeds. No need for light in the capital city because the Lord's throne will be the light. That doesn't mean the rest of the new earth will not experience darkness. It just says the capital city will be always light, a city of lights. The rest of the earth will have sunrise and sunsets. If you miss the Grand Canyon in this life, don't sweat it. As our bodies you know, will be perfected in the resurrection, this earth will be perfected in the resurrection. You'll be able to see the Grand Canyon, whatever else God chooses to create in the new earth, our final home. We're going to have homes to live in. Jesus talks about that in John 14. And that capital city, that celebration city, will never sleep. And the gates are never closed. Some have said, well, if you're in heaven, why do you need gates? Right? I mean, who are you trying to keep out? Well, we're told that those gates are representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Reminders of God's promise way back, his promise um, to his people. And the idea of St. Peter sitting at the pearly gates, again, not a, not a biblical thing at all, just great for jokes, but not a biblical thing at all. Why, why do we, where did that come from? Well, the capital city will have 12 gates, and they are made of a pearl-like substance, just absolutely beautiful. So our surroundings are going to be incredible. How about our activities? Um, we'll be able to eat and drink with no waste. We don't have to rush to the bathroom. 
where are the restrooms here on the Golden Streets uh, every two months? What's, you know, we want to do that. Since our final home contains nothing impure, there is no sanitation. How's that work? Well, somehow our new bodies are going to consume everything we eat and everything we drink, so there's no need to rush to the restroom. I mean, that's heaven for some of you right there. I know. <laughs> Creating, building, painting, writing, all of the human activities from the old earth without the distortion of sin or without the clicking of the clock, or the ticking of the clock, will be available to us as glorified, resurrected children of God. And it's humanity the way God designed it in the beginning. We've never experienced that. We experience a taste of that. But we've never experienced that. Exploration, trips, vacations, traveling with no more. Are we there yet? Because it really doesn't matter in eternity. Time will never be a problem. Friendships without frustration, without tension. Think of the best worship experience you've ever had, whether it was at a concert or, or a conference. There'll be more of that than we can handle. And a bunch of us will be participating in it as well. Music, singing, celebration. It's, it's very reasonable to look at Eden to get an idea of what our final home will be like. Because that was the last time that the dwelling of God was with man. We're told the capital city is full of gardens, so it's reasonable to assume that the rest of the earth will follow suit as well. And certainly, there'll be worship. All we do will be worship. Now, I didn't say all we will do is worship. That's a misconception. I didn't say all we will do is worship. I said all we do will be worship. And really, that's what Colossians 3 um, and we've quoted this to encourage one another as well. It'll be fully and infinitely fulfilled in all of our lives. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All we do, no matter what it is we're doing, will be worship. All right. I struggle with that today. But on, in, our, in our final home, God's dwelling is with us on the new earth, which he created as our final home. That won't be a problem at all, which is incredible. I'd like to learn new languages. I'll have time to do that. You know, I play guitar. I could play it better. I'll have an opportunity to do that. All we do will be worship because... It will direct our hearts to honor the one who made it all possible. Finally, let's get practical. The preparation for our, final, for our final home. Yesterday, we moved our youngest son to South Philly. A wonderful, wonderful little street. It's a one-way street. You can barely get by. All the cars on the one side parked with two tires on the sidewalk just so another car can get by. So there's not going to be a lot of traffic going by. He's two blocks away from Pat Stakes. It's incredible. I mean, I think that's going to be dinner every night for him. But, um, you know, he's, he's been spending two weeks just preparing for this move. You know, I've lived in um, three apartments and three houses. Um, I don't do much of the preparation. Janice does much, much of the preparation uh, for our moves. But, but how can we get prepared for our final move to our final home? Let's, let's read this passage 
again from 2 Peter because there are seven quick things here that just tell us how to get ready. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of, righteous, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. And moving ahead, therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Seven things. Okay, real quick here. Go to the next slide there. First of all, I need to practice looking forward. Peter says, look forward. I got to practice looking forward. In keeping with his promise, we're looking forward. The next time you go on vacation and you have a great time, will you stop and say, this was great, but our final home is going to be even better. Think of the vacations. What are we going to vacation from? We don't take a vacation from anything. It's just vacation. Our final home is going to be great. The next time you have a really excellent quiet time, you really feel, God, you really met with the Lord and, and it really affected you and impacted you. Think, practice looking forward. Man, what's it going to be like? when he's on our mind all the time because we're dwelling with him. The next time, you know, you're, you're at, uh, at, a, at a reunion, okay? Maybe, maybe, they aren't, maybe they aren't great for you, I don't know. But next time you're at a reunion, you're having a great dinner with friends, and it's like, man, that was such a great time. Practice looking forward. Heaven is going to be like that all the time. And, if, and, and you'll never have the feeling of, I wish we would have had more time like I have with my 12-year-old nephew a couple weeks ago. He came from Colorado to visit us for a week, and we had to say goodbye on the airplane and everything. Wish we had more time. You'll never have to feel that, ever. Practice looking forward, Peter says. The second thing he says is to live in his righteousness. Make every effort to be found spotless and blameless. Live in Christ's righteousness. See, our final home is actually called the home of righteousness where everything is set right. Let's get ready for it by making every effort to live like that now. In heaven, our clothes are drenched in the righteousness of Christ. Let's live his righteousness now in preparation for that time. Number three, maintain peace with him. It says, Peter says, make every effort to be found at peace with him. Just keep short accounts with God. If you're fighting with him today, put the gloves down. You will lose. I'm, take it from me. Take it from me. I've had many, many battles with God where I thought he was dead wrong what he's doing in my life or what he's doing in my family or how he's leading me. You know, <laughs> I've put the gloves on. I'm just going to encourage you right now. Save yourself heartache. Save yourself time. Save yourself a lot of pain. Put the gloves down. God is sovereign, and he knows what you need. He knows where he's leading you. He wants to grant you peace now. Live at peace with him now. And there's no fear of dying. Maintain peace with him. The fourth thing, bring others with you. Peter says, our Lord's patience means salvation. In other words, we still have time on the clock. Why do we still have time? God's patience means we can bring others with us. We can talk to them about 
this exciting place called heaven and help them get there. Number five, be aware of error. Don't let the enemy distract you from the truth. Pastor Adam was talking about setting our minds on things above. Don't be distracted from the truth. Don't allow the lie to persist that everyone goes to heaven, or worse yet, that there is no heaven. Satan's greatest lie. We have revelation of the truth. Make it known. Make it known. Be aware of error. Number six, grow in his grace. Peter says, grow in the grace of uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Live graciously now so that you can bring others with you. And finally, number seven, Peter says, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Know him. Know him better. Our experience in heaven is going to be to know him continually and to know him better forever, infinitely. Get to know him now. He's the central figure of heaven. His spirit permeates our final home. Get acquainted with Jesus. Let me close by asking this question. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Because that's the most important thing. What we talked about briefly today, our final home, which words can't express what it's going to be like, it's available to you if your name's in the Book of Life. And John says you can be sure. You can be sure. There's no guessing. You can be sure. He says, and this is the testimony in John chapter, 1 John chapter 5. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have this life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may think you have eternal life. That's not what it says so that you may hopefully wish with your fingers crossed that you have eternal life. That's not what it says. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. God promises a resurrected life in a resurrected body with a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. That is incredible. So how do you see your gravestone? Is it a declaration of hope and an anticipation of life? Or is it overgrown, wondering, fearful of the light of day? If you have the sun, you have the life. And you can have the anticipation for that resurrected life and a hope that carries, carries you through all, diff, all these difficulties, even up to the end of days. You can have hope that is secure that you get to have a final home that's created just for you by God himself. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your revelation that you did not leave us wondering about what's going to happen next or what our final home is going to be like, but you gave us plenty of information and plenty of hope about what you're creating for us. Jesus, I, I think, in, in closing, I think of, of what you told the, the thief who was hanging next to you, who, who knew enough to trust you and say, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And you said, today you'll be with me, you'll be with me in paradise. God, what an incredible promise, comfort, and hope you gave that man who could not do anything to rectify 
his sins, but just trust in you. And we can do the same. Lord, I pray for any who are here that don't know you, Lord, that they would reach out and and talk to a friend, uh, talk to Pastor Adam, talk to anyone here, that they they would learn that all they need to do is have the Son, and they have this life then. And they can get busy living it now. Lord, thank you for the security and the hope we have. Thank you for your revelation. Encourage us, Spirit, continue to teach us, I pray in Jesus' name.